0: Welcome to the Soccer ESQ podcast. My name is Mickey Turner. You can find me online on Twitter at turner_esq. I'm a writer for The Athletic as well as sounder at heart, and I run my own website, SoccerESQ.com. The 2020 MLS preseason is underway, and while the rest of the world waits for the signing of Chicharito to the LA Galaxy to become official, other MLS teams have made some pretty big splashes in the transfer market in some unexpected places. Both Sporting Kansas City and the Columbus Crew are coming up disappointing 2019 seasons, but they didn't let that prevent them from making some big moves, signing Liga MX stars Alan Polito and Lucas Zellerian from south of the border. Both signings shattered the previous transfer fees paid by both teams. To talk about the impact of the signings, I called up Andy Edwards from Talking Touches in Kansas City and Jacob Myers from the Columbus Dispatch. We talk about the historic nature of the signings, what it means for mid-market teams, and we talk about the outlook for each team. We also chat a little bit about the CBA negotiations for good measure. I hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, joining me now, I've got a couple of great writers uh, slash podcasters out from uh, the Midwest, where I hope it is not uh, too snowy. Uh, Annie Edwards from uh, Talking Touches uh, covers uh, Sporting Kansas City, and then we got Jacob Myers, who covers the Columbus Dispatch, and we're going to be talking about the big moves that both teams have made over the offseason, probably the biggest moves to date, in MLS, uh, until Chicharito either signs or does not. Uh, maybe we'll touch on that a little later, but, uh, thanks, uh, you guys for joining me. Yeah, no, alright, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Alright, uh, I think, I figure I'll start with Andy first because he hasn't been on the show before. Uh, and we'll start talking with, uh, Alan Polito. I guess he was kind of the first in time, uh, for these big signings. Uh, but I wanted to, uh, chat about, uh, Alan, obviously, uh, a big signing, uh, Mexico's, uh, or Liga Mex's, uh, you know, leading scorer last year. Uh, uh, can you just talk a little bit about the player, uh, his background and, uh, what brought him up here, uh, to, uh, MLS and Sporting Kansas City? going to be a center forward,
1: not a traditional kind of out-and-out out number nine, a bit of a, of a nine-and-a-half type situation, a player who's going to like to kind of drop into the midfield a little bit more and, and help out with some of the playmaking duties as well, not just getting on to the end of chances that are created for him. So from that sense, I think it'll be a very, very good fit on field for Sporting Kansas City, a player that's going to fit into the system and the way that they play, where It is very fluid, and everybody kind of contributes on both ends of the field. Uh, And so from that perspective, I I think it's a great fit bringing Polito into this team. And and the fact that, you know, they have now a consistent, or or at least expected to be, consistent goal scorer at the center forward position, I think, is the the, the number one kind of storyline coming into this season because for years – they've talked about we have to get that big price number 9 and they just could never get a deal done they could never settle on the right guy whatever the issues were and they went out and they really put their money where their mouth was this time and that to me was it was a little bit eye opening it was a little bit surprising and uh, the fact that they did it so early in the off season as well they got their biggest piece of business done right away so you know he's a player that that I think a lot of people Know from all over, kind of the region, especially if you watch League MX. Uh, you know, I'm very, very excited to see what he can do fitting into this team because I got a sense at his introductory press conference earlier this week that he's going to fit in very well and he's going to do so very, very quickly. Uh, and we can see him get off to a nice start with this team.
0: Yeah and Jacob uh, bef- uh, I wanted to because I think not to be outdone and maybe a little bit surprisingly uh Columbus uh managed to get in a a very dynamic player from Liga MX uh uh in uh, Lucas uh, Zellarayan. Uh tell me a little bit about how that came about and uh you know kind of were you guys expecting uh you know the Edwards uh uh ownership group to kind of splash the cash like this? Yeah, I think we were
2: you know just reading Kind of throughout the off season, Pedro Santos came over and played that central attacking midfield role very well. So I think people may have thought they would just go after wingers and not a number ten. But it was pretty clear since the moment that the ownership or, or the team decided to cut ties with Federico Iguain, who you know had an injury in May and he's 35 years old, was at the end of his contract. I think we all knew. You know, if they're going to spend, this is going to be the first opportunity they do, and they did. I don't know if I expected, you know, up to eight million dollars. I reported more than seven. I think it was closer to eight. Um, actually, there was a figure on ESPN of eight point two four million during the draft, and Tim Bespocheko turned to the crowd and said, "That's not even right." Huh. So, I think it's somewhere around eight million. Uh, but yeah, I think we all expected that eventually the Haslam's and Edwards would kind of show their cash and. You know, Caleb Porter wasn't afraid to get players and have ownership spend over in Portland, so I think that was an added element as well. Same with Bezbacheco in Toronto. Now, this is a guy who's a little... He's not unproven. He can play. You know, he played at T. Grace, one of the uh, more achieving clubs in League MX for, you know, a good amount of time. But he came off the bench at certain points, so the question is, can he be the guy? Can he be that number 10? I think if you're spending eight million dollars you're probably going to get a player like that scored 10 goals six assists um and you know 77 appearances that was before joint t grayson did very well over there so yeah I, I i think you know just to sum it up we were kind of expecting this and he's 27 years old too so i was a kind of surprised that they were able to get a player in his prime
0: yeah and uh Going back to um, Alan Polito and and uh, and then Jacob, I'll get you back in on kind of the transaction and how it came about. Uh, Polito was linked to several teams uh, in MLS before he finally landed uh, at SKC. Uh, I, I think somewhat surprisingly, uh, because he was initially linked to uh, San Jose. So I was curious, uh, what were you guys hearing out there about Polito and his level of interest in SKC, and, and kind of how did that come to fruition at the end? Yeah, it's pretty interesting because he was asked
1: about that pretty directly in his press conference this week. You know, the fact that, that that Matias Almeida his former manager there in San Jose. And so the relationship seemed very, very obvious. If he was going to make a move to MLS, then, that it would be a situation that he'd be very comfortable with going in from day one. You know, but according to Polito and according to Peter Vermes as well, you know, once they kind of made contact and began the discussions and he started getting an idea of what some of the infrastructure and the facilities and, and just kind of the overall, you know, here was in kansas city uh i believe in his very very first media availability on a conference call he said uh that that it was the only situation that interested him uh, as far as going to mls it was also quite a bit closer uh to you know to where his family is going to be when while they're still in mexico and everything and so from that aspect it was just kind of a perfect fit and then he's had his tour of the facilities and the stadium and everything since then since he landed in kansas city over the weekend and you know he said uh, I've never seen a more organized and ambitious, uh, you know, uh, franchise organization anywhere in the world that I that I've ever you know been a part of. And specialized with, was a word that he used because of everything, all the tools that are available there, the the brand new training facility, uh, and, and so you know they did a very good job of selling themselves. And that's one of the things they've struggled with over the years is. You can get a player to come to MLS, sure. Can you get a player to come to Kansas City? Though it's a very, very different challenge, and Peter Vermees has talked about that a lot over a number of years. And so, any time they kind of approach a player, it is first, do you want to play in MLS? Do you want to play for Sporting Kansas City? And if the answers are not both resulting yeses, then they just kind of move on and they can go to the next guy. And they probably, you know, presumably got the assurances they were looking for uh, from Polito, and then everything really just
2: kind of picked up from there
0: that's absolutely fascinating. Uh we've always always hear about the the big dollar uh big high profile DPs uh those Latons, the, the Rooney's uh you know uh who kind of ignore the middle of the country uh flyover country as it's called. Um but you know, I think there's still room for high quality players to find their way to other situations uh, up in here in Seattle which may be a high uh you know you know, a big market as far as soccer is concerned. But just generally speaking, I don't think anybody would confuse it with uh, L.A. or Miami or uh, New York. Um, and so, Jacob, uh, s- kind of similar question to you. Uh, what kind of selling needed to go on with Zellerayon to get him in here, if any? Um, because it seemed to come together fairly quickly. Yeah, good question. I haven't got to talk to him yet. Um,
2: probably will do that the week before or so before the regular season starts. Um, with that, i departing soon for preseason. But um talked to Bezpachenko and, and Caleb Porter as well. And What it seemed to me is they, they had a few other targets, uh, one including
0: a 19-year-old uh, Paraguayan, Ivan uh, Franco. I think he was rumored to
2: a couple other teams. Um, but they had narrowed their sights on Celereon for, I would say, at least a month or so. And uh, as Caleb Porter tells it, he went out there and they... Had a discussion and they just seemed to really click. And I don't think a ton of selling had to go on. He seemed to, you know, like the opportunity to come to MLS, probably to be the guy. Um, it doesn't sound like he wanted to be a big city guy, as playing in New York or in LA, something like that. So, and those are the type of players Columbus has to get right. They also had a good lineage of Argentine attacking midfielders as well. So uh, I'll be able to, you know, tell you more when I personally get to talk to him. But it didn't seem like there, there was a ton on just selling him, on um, being in a small market. Plus, I, you know, I think the new stadium, that, that's a mm. pretty big pitch as well. Them, I'm
0: sure that helped. Yeah, and both uh, both SKC uh, has, already has one of the best uh, stadium experiences in the league. And Columbus, uh, obviously, is going to have – you guys are going to be out ready to go in 2021
2: or 2022? 2021 right now,
0: Okay, um, yeah, and it, I can't wait to obviously get out there and see it myself. Um, and I wanted to chat a little bit about the transfer fees. Uh, you, Jacob, you already mentioned uh, what uh, what the numbers were for uh, Zellerayan to get in, but um, Andy, what uh, were you hearing about the amount uh, of spending out there for Alan Polito? Um, and and how does that differ from what they had done in the past? It sounds like it was a three or four four. Fold increase over their previous uh, spending on designated players. Yeah,
2: for, for the lifetime of the
1: entire organization as well, prior to this, I, I think it was Sam McDowell who, who had spoke with, with Mike Gillick, was kind of running uh, the show for Sporting Now from the ownership side, and, and prior to this offseason, the all-time net spend on transfer fees was about uh, $4 million, and so what I've heard on Bolito is is anywhere between kind of six and, and $9.5 and million, dollars. and that's from yeah. a couple of different places. Uh, they've pretty historically done a good job of keeping a lot of those kind of financial details, you know, very quiet and in, in, in-house and not kind of going and, and, and flaunting it about, and I think that there's a, a number of reasons for that, and I think that they, I think Sporting have a belief that once they step into this kind of MLS 3.0 era, that everybody then in the world, all the agents, all the players, know it. And so the expectation of what, and selling clubs as well, know it. So the expectation then becomes, that's a starting point for the next deal. And so I think they have an idea that they can kind of keep the you know, the buzz around the transfer fee down just a little bit and may not make such a big deal about the financial side of it, uh, that they can continue to have a little bit more success kind of operating in the margins, you know, some of those market inefficiencies in the future. But, you know, it's a it's a, it's a massive number for a team that's just not done a deal like this ever, and they've chased some guys. They were involved with Michael Bradley when he came to MLS, but they ended up being about you know $10 million short on the entire package between the fee and the life of the contract and everything. Uh, and so to see them really identify a player and say, at whatever cost, This is the player that fits. This is the player that we want. This is the player that we need, and we think fills a a big, big hole in our team and will kind of put us over the top and actually raise our ceiling. I've always thought of Sporting as maybe one of the highest floor teams in MLS. If everything goes wrong, it's never really going to just completely fall apart, and 2019 was was close to it, but, but it wasn't a complete disaster. But the ceiling is always kind of limited because they operate kind of in the middle of uh, of the league in terms of quality and 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 spend and everything. So I think this is just something that takes them well above any of anywhere that
0: they've ever been over the last decade under Peter Vermees. And that's a good place to segue, uh, Jacob, and to talk about what you know what this kind of means going forward for uh, Columbus as well. Uh, you know, maybe they're not going to spend $9 million or $8 million on every single DP that they bring in, but it seems to me that it's kind of a brave new world for, uh, for Columbus as well as far as what they're looking to do going forward. Yeah, and I think getting the, you know, fairly large, I mean, it was the largest at the position, uh, transfer fee that Man City paid
2: for Zach Stefan certainly factors into what you're mm. able to play for, uh, pay for international players. Know, the way the league is trending and absolutely, you know, why we're having this conversation is teams like Kansas City, teams like Columbus,
0: who are traditionally the smaller market teams, in order to compete with the
2: LAFCs or Atlantas over time, you're not going to be able to spend like them, but you at least have to shrink
0: that gap a little bit. Clearly, that's what the, these two teams are doing here. Yeah, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, reaction to each of the uh, uh, respective moves in the uh in the fan bases, is uh, Andy. I'll start with you again. Uh, as you said, uh, SKC kind of had been limited in what they would spend, and you know I'm, I'm sure fans were somewhat uh, discouraged about you know just kind of the you know their their ethos uh, previously. So, what has been the reaction to uh, Polito? I, I can probably guess what it's been, but uh, <laughs> from your perspective, uh, how has how has he been received? Yeah, it's been pretty positive as, around here, as you would imagine.
1: Just the fact, I, I think you can put the player aside, uh, I think just the fact that they were willing to spend this kind of money and, and kind of re-signal to the fan base, hey, you know, we, we, we know what 2019 was. We fell short of our expectations. We fell short of our standard. Uh, we don't want to become that year after year. We don't want to become kind of just one of those teams that makes up the league in MLS. We, want to, we, we are committed to actually competing and being there at the business end of the season, and, and this is how we're going to kind of show it, and we're going to start doing things a little bit different. I think they'll still operate in a lot of those kind of margins and market inefficiencies in the future because every MLS team has to do that. That's how you build the core of a strong team, and then you kind of supplement it with with guys of of Polito's price tag and and caliber and everything. But then you take into account the player and the position that he plays and consider some of the players that have played as a number nine for sporting over the last two years and five years and ten years. And there have been some names that you know and, and some names that you don't know. for for good reasons, and and they've not ever really had, outside of one season from Dom Dwyer, I believe 2015, when he scored 22 goals with about a half a dozen or so of them from the penalty spot, it should be said Uh, they've not had a really, really productive center forward on this team, and so has that held them back at all? Well, I've always kind of been of the school of thought that that's part of what made them so sound defensively was they had to be a team that, that would give up one goal a game maximum uh, to really get results and, and that was why they were such a strong defensive team for, so for a number of years and so this just gives them I think a little bit more uh, of a room for error having a player of, of that quality in the team and and you know there's a there's a very very large mexican population in kansas city as well that you know uh, a ton a ton of chivas fans in kansas city Uh, Mm -hmm. a number of them that i know personally um and every time that there is a you know a friendly between two mexican clubs in kansas city we've had a handful of them at arrowhead and children's mercy park uh, over the years wildly attended uh just just Huge numbers—they you know—they come out in droves, and so from you know from a perspective of maybe potentially hopefully kind of engaging and igniting a new section of the fan base—you know—Polito really could be worth every single dollar that they paid for that transfer fee for the for the life of the contract and everything. So you know, I'm excited to see how it works on the field. I think a lot of other people are just kind of excited—you know—that that sporting are linked with names of that caliber, dollar figures you know, that size and, and really kind of becoming a
0: player in the transfer market. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously in out in Columbus we uh we probably know how the fan base has responded to uh to this move as well, uh, especially given some of the off the field uh issues that uh, shall we say that have occurred over the past three years uh since uh Anthony Precourt uh took off for uh for Texas. So uh how was the fan base responded to this move and uh similar to uh what i asked uh andy uh, uh what do you uh, what do you see kind of off the field as well uh regarding this uh this transaction yeah
2: well i think to start you know when he got here there were a hundred or so people cramped into a little um private a- aviation center where, where he got off the plane there so definitely some interest just visible right off the bat but that whole day of when rumors started to kind of leak out out of, of, of Argentina and, and out of Mexico um the, the chatter you know at least the vocal crew fans on Twitter really just kind of were sitting on pins and uh, all day so I think this was the move that they had been waiting for you know um, that's absolutely context to so the Anthony Precourt stuff waiting for this whole you know existence of the club to get a big player like this and to um Kansas City's perspective, like this transfer fee was
0: also threefold. Um, I think over threefold. Yeah, over threefold, almost fourfold of their previous transfer fee
2: record, which was Pedro Santos, a little over two million. So, you know, nice to see that NFL money come into uh, MLS a little bit more. Wow. I'm sure it will, and Charlotte's in the league as well. But the uh, Latinx supporter group that uh, for the crew is definitely been visible so far, and, and that's something I'm interested in uh, kind of reporting out this year, is just how that's going to have an effect on the uh, fan base, and, you know, can they get more of the Latin population, the Spanish-Hispanic population in Columbus and into the uh, into the home games?
0: Uh, yeah, uh, and just to follow up on that, um, Andy, or, or excuse me, uh, Jacob, uh, what, uh, how, has been, how has the, how Kind of uh, front office, uh, you know, uh, season tickets, uh, that kind of thing. Um, has that stuff picked up now that we're a little bit of a ways away from the Save the Crew saga um, and with the new stadium on the horizon? Yeah, it absolutely has. They are in the works of putting in. So I, you've been to Columbus,
2: Mickey, the <laughs> hotel you're staying at, kind of adjacent to this area called the Short North, which is really just a bridge between downtown. The arena district, which is kind of where stadium would be, and then the campus area, a bunch of shops, places to eat, pretty, pretty lively. The crew are putting in a brick and mortar store there that's going to display their downtown stadium. Mm. Um, it's called an experience center. I'm not entirely sure right now what that even means, but they're they're okay. slated to open that around the start of the season. So, um, but that's something they've definitely picked up marketing wise. There's a bunch of Graphics and different advertisements that show Lucas Del It says, like, Welcome to Columbus on it. So they're definitely trying to get their footprint out there already near the arena district where that downtown stadium is going to be. As far as ticket sales, uh, they were a bit cagey, didn't give me some numbers when I reported a story this past week, but they said they're trending in the right direction. And the person I talked to, he's um, chief business officer. I have a good relationship with him. I, I trust him enough. So, um, you know, they had the most growth in season ticket numbers um, year over year from 2018-2019. Obviously, that has a ton of context to
0: it because fans didn't want to pay money to an owner that was trying to take the team elsewhere. Imagine um, that. But I think, yeah, yeah, it's funny how that works. But, you know, I think it, I was just
2: talking to people who watch a few games every year. You see the team spends – almost, you know, seven, eight million dollars on a player. Just the average fan can see that and say, OK, maybe it's worth spending my money and going watching this team. Maybe they'll be good and, and worth going to see in my spare time.
0: Yeah. And, and to follow up on that, uh, you know, uh, obviously out in in Kansas City, uh, the uh, attendance has uh, you know generally been fantastic, although I think there may have been a slight dip uh, this past year, uh, what do you think this move, uh, s- uh, says about, or sn- singles to the, uh, fan base about, uh, what SKC wants to do? And, uh, you know, they, their, their stating capacity is, you know, somewhat limited. So, you know, I don't think there's much room for growth there, but there's certainly, uh, certainly moves like this will help, help steady any losses that they may have had in the last year. Yeah, I'm very glad you mentioned that, that there was a little bit of a
1: drop-off in 2019, given the way that the season kind of ultimately played out and, and petered out very, very slowly at the end and, and really kind of ended with with, with barely a whimper. Uh, you know, I had always been curious through this entire decade since the stadium opened in 2011 and the rebrand and this team became successful and the playoffs became, you know, I think to a lot of fans in Kansas City, almost felt like a God-given right that they would show up on day one at the end of the season, they were going to be in the playoffs, There are so many new fans in Kansas City to the sport and to the team that knew nothing else but Sporting Kansas City being a fixture in the playoffs every single year and typically being one of those top one or two or three teams in their conference. And so I was always curious when the down year comes, because it's always going to come, what's the reaction going to be like? And, you know, the second half of the season especially, the stadium was... You know, three-quarters full, 80% full, somewhere around there, by no means, you know, any kind of embarrassing display, anything that would have looked terrible on television or anything, but given the standard that, that's that been expected and that they get lauded for and that they use in their marketing and everything, you know, it certainly was well, not that. There wasn't the same kind of engagement uh leading up to games and during games and after games, you know, or on social media and things like that. So people checked out just a little bit. And so I think it was important that they made a move like signing Polito this off-season, obviously for the on-the-field stuff and when you look at how the season went, but just to kind of re-energize that fan base and get them you know, connected once again because you know I know I know plenty of fans uh, around town you know, on a personal level who have been season ticket holders for for much longer than the stadium and everything, and, and a handful of them had, had considered, well, I, I've got X number of season tickets. I don't need that many. They would typically use the, the extra couple to bring friends or you know ha- you know to, to to make it a night out with a group of people. Said, well, I don't need that many. I need mine. I need mine for my wife or my husband. We could, you know, we could cut it back just a little bit, have just a couple, and so, you know, there were thoughts of that. I think from a lot of people. So, so, so making this move at this time was not only strategic, strategic for on the field, but I think going to be a huge boost to the team off the field. And, and you know, any time you can tick both of those boxes with one move, you know,
0: obviously it's a great thing, and you've got to do it okay and yeah that's absolutely I think that is something that more MLS teams uh, especially ones who haven't been in the playoffs recently should probably take the heart uh, there we could all think of a couple of teams or a few teams that are having you know issues with attendance uh, or, or just engagement uh, and you know one of you know these types of moves certainly can move the needle um, I wanted to get uh, both of your thoughts um, because of the uh, expenditures that they've made um, just kind of on the general state of what this means, uh, this kind of arms race in uh, MLS. Uh, do you think this will affect more teams uh, when they realize that you've got to spend the money to 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 compete in this new era? It sounds like both Columbus and Kansas City have kind of realized that, but I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on what this means uh, for the league, uh, especially those teams that haven't been spending as much up to this point. Uh, I'll throw it to you, uh, Jacob, you first. Yeah.
2: I think it will definitely have an effect. Uh, now it also conversely in this, you know, put this in the whole context of the MLS, MLSPA bargaining agreement as well. I think these larger transfer fees will be for, to the benefit probably of the league and competitiveness of the league. But in terms of developing, um, local, you know, American national players, I don't know if, uh, it'll have, A positive effect. It could have a negative effect. But in terms of just getting more interest in the sport, I think, you know, look at any sport. You spend more money, the talent gets better, and more people will probably pay attention. So I think teams like, you know, off the top of my head, maybe a Chicago, Orlando, are going to have to start spending money like this. And I don't, you know, you could probably say Kansas City, I would assume, is not done. I, I definitely don't think Columbus is done in respect in terms of spending transfer fees to this caliber in the years to come as well so it's only going to increase from here it's either kind of start to catch up now or you're going to be even more behind for those teams that aren't spending this money yeah i think it's
1: very important to note that while you know kansas city especially uh, have made this financial commitment and, and and I've heard the phrase, well, joining the arms race, moving into MLS 3.0. Sure, that they, they have. They've spent money, like some other teams have done. But it's still very, very important, I think, to remember. Sporting Kansas City is still operating in a very different transfer market to some of those bigger teams, the teams that we keep saying that they're trying to catch up with, the LAFCs, the Atlantas. One, in terms of the money that they are willing to spend, this is not spending $15 million on Ezekiel Barco and bringing him in knowing that he's got a 25 or 30 or $40 million sell-on you yeah possibility down the road this is an eight between a six and a half and a nine and a half million dollar transfer on a 28 year old player who for the life of his contract is going to be 28 to 32 years old still very productive years but it still requires a very kind of specific personality and characteristics of a player in person and what their ambitions are and what they believe in to want to come to Kansas City now you can overpay a little bit and, and you know kind of get over some of those hurdles but they're never going to overpay to that degree to get players to to come to Kansas City that are kind of outside of their universe, with all due respect to them. Uh, and, and so,
2: so just want to pump the brakes on that a little <laughs> bit. Toledo should come to MLS in Kansas City and be a good and productive player for pretty much the
1: life of his contract, the time that he is here. Uh, but he is not Jose Martinez. He is not Raul Rui Diaz. He is not you know a Carlos Vela. He is not players of that caliber. Now he can going into the right situation which which I came away very impressed with the way that like he spoke about coming to Kansas City and and, and what Peter Vermes had to say about him in the press conference this week he can still come in and have a similar impact to those type of players but he is not those players and I think we have to remember that and not get caught up with kind of the narrative around okay Sporting is spending big they're
0: one of the big boys now because they're not yeah and I should point out that there was only a few teams that are doing what Atlanta's doing uh mm-hmm. mainly Atlanta and LAFC who are getting these really young players and, and spending a pretty penny on them with the chance to sell them on. Uh, even the Sounders haven't done that, uh, as far as, uh, really young players, uh, you know, uh, they come in with, you know, Dempsey and Riviaz and Ova Martins and things like that, but those are still, uh, players who they by and large aren't going to sell on at a later date. And yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the CBA since, uh, we, we kind of brushed upon it in that discussion. Uh, obviously the CBA is still pending before the, uh, you know, before the MLS Players Association and MLS. Uh, there's not an agreement as we uh, speak and don't expect one here uh, anytime in the next, you know, week or two. Um, there's a lot of stuff still going on that needs to be hashed out. The players are presenting United Front, uh, and so that means that they are intimating that there could be a work stoppage if they do not get what they want. Uh, obviously, with the league being uh, at their 25th anniversary and with all of the uh, new uh, transactions coming in and new initiatives and all that other fun stuff, they would prefer not to have the work stoppage, but that's somewhat beyond their control um, unless you give the players what they want. But I wanted to get your guys' thoughts, uh, just generally speaking, on the CBA discussions and um and how, it's, how those discussions are kind of playing out, out um, where you guys are, especially in light of the fact that there have been some significant moves made uh, for each of you. Uh, Andy, what, what's your what's your thought on uh, where things stand?
1: Yeah, I actually got a chance to ask Peter Ramiz this on, on Tuesday, you know, just kind of his general thoughts. Of course, he's not going to come out and speak strongly for one side or the other. You, you, and I did ask him, said, you're kind of in a weird... Middle ground space between the owners, who are clearly your bosses, and the people that employ you, and the players on the other side, who are the players that you know that, that, that work for you for, all, you know, for lack of a better term, and, and that must be kind of a weird space to operate in. Obviously, wanting to be deal to get done, wanting your players to be taken care of, especially as a former player in MLS himself, and having an understanding of what some of the you know, kind of sacrifices and struggles of, of MLS players have been over the, the history of the league. But he also kind of stressed. You know they need to be realistic and and they need to be and i I believe he used the word uh, uh it was it was either thankful or grateful for you know for the opportunity to play in the league hmm, and, and to make a living doing that and and I, and I found that to be. You know, a little bit of posturing
2: from yeah. him. It was quite a, you know, a political
1: answer in the way, and he kind of danced around a lot of things. And, and I've never actually kind of seen him kind of wobble when giving an answer like that, where he was like, "Well, can I say this? Can I say that? <laughs> I'm just going to say what, what I know that I should." But um, and then I followed up, and I and I kind of asked him. I said, "You know, how, how has that been a challenge this this off season as you kind of look to obviously have to build a roster? You can't wait for a CBA to get done and then start building your roster for the 2020 season." You know and, and I would be very curious to know and of course you wouldn't say so right now but you know have they had an opportunity to sign a player at, at, with a, a certain demand for a contract knowing what the salary cap was last year not knowing what it is next year and say well don't know that we can fit that into the cap for 2020 so we're going to have to pass or you know that they kind of overextend themselves kind of anticipating what the, the, the salary cap is going to go up to but then it doesn't quite meet that valuation and so they find themselves in trouble and, and so that's that, that's that's to me probably the most interesting CBA uh, negotiations that are going on is the the difficulty that it poses for teams to have to actually build these rosters while this is going on and the uncertainty of knowing what the, what are the league rules going to be in 2020 that I mean that's the most MLS thing out there is you know we have no idea from year to year and, and month to month during the season what rules are going to be in place now and what rules are going to be in place at the end of the season so you know I, I, that would be one thing I would want as, as the, the players association is as, You know, what the rules are at the start of the year, that's the rules for the year. The competition rules are are, are the same throughout the year, and no more kind of creating things during the middle of the season because it really does create, you know, an, an unlevel playing field for. Um, you know, certain teams uh, that it helps and and other teams that it hurts. So, you know, I'm just fingers crossed that that there's no work stoppage or anything. There's, you know, obviously a ton more money in the league now than there was five years ago when the last one was negotiated. The players, I think, pretty universally agreed, got kind of, you know, the short end of that deal. And so there has to be some some spot in the middle. It's it's always in the middle uh, where they can meet where, you know, maybe you get a little bit of makeup for last time around and you find yourself in a strong position for the next round of CBA negotiations, which then will be the most important round of
2: CBA negotiations we've ever had in MLS. Yeah, and, and I haven't um, had discussion with uh, John Kemp, and he's the uh, I guess backup goalkeeper, but the guy on the uh, committee representing the crew. I only spoke to him kind of during the season, and just kind of know what I've read. saw Alejandro Bedoya saying, you know, they've made what they feel like are pretty agreeable um, pitches to the league. So it seems, you know, you would know more than I, Mickey, but it seems like things are moving in a generally positive direction compared to some of the stronger language earlier um, during the season. But in terms of how it would affect the crew, um, you know, they were always going to do a bit of a roster overhaul. so I don't think it affected them to a a huge degree i'm sure maybe as andy alluded to there were some signings that maybe they looked to and and, um, decided against possibly because of we don't know what the salary cap is going to be but as far as tam and and um international roster spots designated player spots that affects the crew a little they had four players last year who were technically designated players one being milton valenzuela who was on um You know the injured list the entire year, so he didn't count. Then they signed Luis Diaz, who's a young designated player. Player Pedro Santos and Jossie Zardes. He had a a contract extension that made him a designated player. I believe all those guys can be bought down with TAM, but still we don't know what it's like right now, and so that can kind of depend how they want to structure their roster, and will you know certainly affect other transfer windows
0: down the road. Yeah, and it's fair to say up here in Seattle, uh, Garth has obviously been out on, uh you know, making the media rounds. And he's made it clear that the uh, CBA discussions have had a substantial impact on his ability to build a roster. Um, now the Sounders are in a somewhat different position as the MLS Cup champ, and they still have the core of their roster Still together, but it's those additional, uh, acquisitions that they want to make to fill out the team. They only have once, well, now they have two center backs on their roster when, with the signing of Shane O'Neill, but, you know, prior to yesterday, uh, uh, Tuesday, they only had one. And he's made it clear that the team is going to be very, uh, conservative in their approach going forward until the CBA is signed. Um, and that's going to affect them, especially because they have CCL and that means that they need to get their roster together earlier than most. And, you know, the CBA discussions, um, I've heard the th- same things uh, you just alluded to, Jacob, that, you know, they have been somewhat uh, positive uh, in, in, the, in that they are not threatening a strike imminently um, and things are moving um, in, in a kind of a, in a forward pro- uh, progression, though maybe at a snail's pace. But I still wouldn't expect anything to get done here before uh, the uh, end of the month at the earliest, um, and this thing could still stretch out well, well beyond that. Um, you know, last time around they uh, didn't have a deal until basically the last minute. And they were prepared to strike it, um, as a matter of fact, um, until the league came together with an improved offer at the last moments and kind of pressured them into making uh, a deal. And I think Andy, as you, uh, as you mentioned, the, uh, the players, it, it's, it's generally thought of that they left a lot of money on the table, which is why Tam was introduced, uh, you know, about two months after the CBA was signed. Uh, that gives you an indication that, you know, there was money there to be had, but they were more focused on free agency. So we'll see what happens, uh, with that. Uh, and, uh, I think it's, there's still a lot of uh, twists and turns, uh, to be, uh, to be the navigated, uh, before they, uh, before they come to an agreement. But uh, to finish up, I wanted to take a look at the outlook for both teams. Um, and, uh, Andy, I'll start with you. Uh, with the additions of Polito, you said that they may have uh, one or two other moves, uh, you know, kind of CBA dependent. Uh, where uh, Where do you think this leaves the team uh, overall and uh, what do they need to do, uh, you know, as they look forward to the start of the season? Yeah,
2: on those other moves real quickly, you know, Verme's
0: kind of alluded to, he thinks, that kind of about
1: that halfway point of- Season when they'll come back for a few days, and so that seems to line up at least timeline wise with maybe when they'll have a little bit better idea or potentially even you know an announcement on the CBA so that they'll have a little more clarity on what some of the rules are going to be. I I think by no means are are they done yet, they need a couple. Uh, a couple bodies, at least in the midfield, still where they're a little bit thin after letting a couple guys go during the off season and even late last season, you know, parting ways with Johan Quase. So they don't quite have the numbers in there that they need for a full 34 game season. So I'd imagine that's probably the part of the field that they're going to look to target uh, with a couple more moves. As far as an outlook for the season, you know, I, I remain still someone who who just fully believes in you know, Peter Vermeer's ability to not only put together a team as a sporting director and the staff that he has on, you know, kind of the, the front office side of things, uh, but also just as one of the better coaches in the league and, and, a, and a coach who, who will get as much as he possibly can out of a given team. And and I think you can look at this roster now and say it's probably one of the most talented teams that, that sporting have had given the investment that they've made in Polito and a couple of other spots over the last couple of years getting impact players like Felipe Gutierrez and Johnny Russell, you know, who are upper echelon at their position around the league, so uh, I think the ceiling is fairly high for sporting this year uh, I think the key for this team though in 2020 is going to be how can they kind of, I don't know the word manage or even transition uh, kind of the workload for the likes of a Matt Beasley, a Graham Zussi, a Roger Espinoza players who are all 32, 33 years old now, you know, kind of in the last either year or two years of their contracts that they have now, and will probably be moving on from Kansas City after that and kind of you know, If they can get them down to 24 games, 24 appearances in the regular season, and give the rest of those numbers to the likes of an 18- or 19-year-old Jalen Lindsay, a 17-year-old Jean-Luc Abusio, and kind of transition into the next era of what the team is going to be, obviously that helps for the future, but I think it also helps for the short term as well, because you test that depth just a little bit more. But then come the end of the season, you've got your veteran guys, the core guys, the team, the guys that this team is still built around a little bit fresher and with a little bit left in the tank. And that's always been a problem over the last few years is they get down to the end of the year. And those guys, you know, kind of around 30 years old and now north of it, always just don't quite have enough left at the end of the season. You can't rely on them to dig deep quite the way you could at the beginning of the season. So they've always started seasons really quick and then kind of slowly faded away as the season went on. So I think that's the number one thing I'm looking for this year. And also, how about 2,500 minutes for John luc mm. Let's just give the kid every minute that he's healthy. I don't care. I don't care what position. Find a way to get him on the field and see what he can do with a consistent, long run of games. Because every little appearance, two or three games here and there that he's played – he has he has really shown promise, and he's he's really given I think a lot of hope that that he's not just a potential uh, kind of star player for this team, but that he feels like much more of a safe bet to reach that kind of level with Sporting.
0: Yeah, Jacob, I I would say that the outlook for Columbus it seems to be very optimistic. Uh, the team seems to have uh, you know depth at some positions, and obviously the new signings uh, have uh, have led to some optimism, but uh, wh- what are you hearing out there about the prospects for the uh, for the crew for 2020? Yeah, I think it would, you know, for starters,
2: probably same with supporting KC, it would be a total disappointment if the crew didn't make the playoffs with getting Zellerion in here. Now, that's the biggest question, right? How, how will he play? How is he going to look? Especially, I think you want Pedro Santos, who had, you know, a career year last year with 11 goals. You want to see some type of similar production, you know, a happy medium at least between the one goals he scored in his career and the two seasons before he had this career year, uh, when did they move him back out to the left wing, so, you know, in, in the midfield, Darlington Nagby, I don't think you can really underestimate how impactful he's going to be, just in terms of trying to be a counter-attacking team when you have to, and just an on-ball defender um, as well, and and not allowing teams to break lines. Uh, in the back, they're, they're pretty solid at center back. They added a international player, um, a Dutch center back who played in Norway, so I, I think all indications are he's pretty good too. Another big question, though, is Harrison Awkwad, right back, he's 33 now. Can he still be that um, offensive type of player he was in past years? Now they have a 23-year-old behind him um, from Scotland who – should be able to back him up a bit, but then Milton Donzuela, I mean, I think he can be one of the best left backs in the league. But how is he going to be after an ACL and MCL tear? So that's a big question I have. And then in the midfield, I still expect probably a move. You know, you they just signed Aiden Morris, who's a, a U20 US international guy. He um, got him, Artur, Will Trap, and Nagby really for two spots, and I think. The coaching staff probably wants Morris to be in that third spot. So, you know, a lot of people are wondering is Artur or Will Trap on the move before the season? And then a winger, they only have three guys at two spots. So I think they'll still add there and behind Jossie Zardes, they have three guys, including their first round draft pick last year and this year, um, who are unproven. So they still have some depth issues at, at winger and, and striker. But in terms of overall, you know, just, having a good team. I think they're better off than where they were a year
0: ago. All right. Well, then I think that's a great place to uh, end this discussion. I want to thank you guys for joining me while we wait for Chicharito to be resolved. Uh, Andy Edwards and Jacob Myers, uh, before we uh, we sign off, I just want to give you guys a chance to plug where you're at. Uh, Jacob, why don't you start us off with uh, where people can find you, uh, your work? Sure.
2: Uh, I'm at the Columbus Dispatch. Uh,
0: you can find me on Twitter
2: at Jacob underscore Myers underscore
0: 2-5. And Andy?
1: Yeah, at Andy at MLS on Twitter. We're uh, tweeting way too much this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> i took my hiatus in the months of November and December, and, and I'm back for the season now. And talking Touches podcast every single week. We're talking Sporting Kansas City. We're talking uh, the rest of MLS as well and some interview stuff with coaches and players over there. So uh, that's about it.
0: Alright, uh, thank you guys again for, uh, giving us a little bit of an update on what's going on out in the Midwest where, uh, where some of the major transactions have happened this, uh, off season. So, again, thank you guys for joining me and, uh, we'll talk to you soon.